0: Hello and welcome to our shiny brand new podcast Brought to you by the human rights charity Justice Upheld This is episode one We've got a lot we want to talk to you about So I hope you stick around Thank you for joining me on today our pilot episode. My name is Russell Turner, I'm your host for today, and I am a trustee and advisor to a remarkable charity called Justice Upheld. And we are a group of lawyers, professionals and activists and we come together to form a very effective team of human rights defenders. Now although we are based in the UK, we operate worldwide And we give free, at the point of need, legal advice and representation to anyone who needs us in order to defend their human rights. And our work includes, but is not limited to, human trafficking, modern slavery, um, people that are falsely imprisoned or political prisoners. Uh, Our work has a very large scope to it. And one of the many things, but probably my most favourite thing, apart from playing a part in helping people through this charity, one of my favourite things about the charity is that we are independent, and fiercely so. We're financially independent, we're politically independent, uh, and we're religiously independent. We do not discriminate. We are not a... Biased charity in any way. We don't care about green versus orange, red versus blue, Labour versus Conservative, Republican versus Democrat, left versus right. All we care about is right versus wrong, and that is what we live by. We don't care who you are, where you are, how powerful you are. If you are committing human rights violations we will call you out and we will come after you and we will do everything within our power to highlight your transgressions and see you brought to justice and that is why I love this charity so much because we are a small but growing charity but the work we do with what we have is remarkable and I'm so proud to be a part of it and I'm looking forward to talking to you more about our work in coming episodes. Apologies for the audio quality that you're hearing today. We've jumped on this very excited and have wanted to get an episode out as soon as we can. But as time goes on, we're going to upgrade our all, the, all our gear, microphones, software, and this is just going to get better and better. So this is going to be a, a great vehicle for showing and sharing our stories and telling you about what's really happening in the world and the truth about what's happening in the world because I think it was the great Denzel Washington that said, if you you don't read a newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read the newspaper, you're misinformed and we are going to do what we can to bring you the truth about the average human and that is who we are here for we are team human so as you can imagine a lot of our work is very sensitive and there's only a certain amount of it that i can share with you at different points Um, it involves the safety of a lot of people But people we deal with their lives are at risk at times Uh, and we currently have uh, cases where we are helping people in Afghanistan and Iraq that I can't share with you yet. So what I am going to do and this will be a regular feature I'm going to talk to you about something in the news that's caught our eye. and like I said earlier part of our work is in education and we want you to be informed. And uh, just as we constantly try to grow our own knowledge base. Now, one of the things I hope you appreciate about us in the coming episodes is that we are, we want to speak to you like a friend or colleague that you know. We are not coming to you from. Uh, heavily academic apex we want to talk to you in a conversational style we want to engage you and you can reach out to us on social media give us any thoughts or feelings you have about any broadcast we do and we certainly encourage that but remember what I said about us not being afraid to go after anyone, and there are no sacred cows at Justice Upheld, and I want you to remember that as I move into the new stories that caught my eye, and I'm going to give you my spin on them and how they pertain to human rights. So with that in mind, here is the first story I want to share with you. This is about the former US Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton. A woman of many titles, including the first female chancellor of Queen's University, Belfast. A post she was given late last year, and one Lebanese commentator commented on Twitter that she personally preferred the title of the Butcher of Libya. And I hope that this is a title that follows her. Wherever she goes, much in the same way that Tony Blair, the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, cannot stop the disastrous Iraq war following him everywhere he goes. Now, at the time, 10 years ago, when Hillary Clinton spearheaded this disastrous military intervention, both her and her advisers believed it was a great thing for her to have on her cv because they believed it showed the world that she had what it took to get the top job to be the president of the united states as time goes on though hillary would much rather this section of her political career was forgotten about as more and more of the truth seeps out at the time it was suspected that there were hidden motives behind this disastrous intervention in Libya. But this week, some of her emails have been leaked from around that time. And something that was suspected has now been confirmed. Libya was in the process of setting up a gold-backed currency that would have taken them away from the US dollar. And obviously, this would have been bad news for the USA going forward, and would have damaged them economically. And at the time, she rejoiced at the destruction of modern Libya. 20,000 dead, Colonel Gaddafi, its leader, tortured to death in the street. Have you seen that clip of Clinton laughing over this man's gruesome death? We came, we saw, he died, she famously said, punching the air and laughing. But the thing is, Colonel Gaddafi, a man of many faults and many crimes, had made a deal with George W. Bush. Give up your weapons of mass destruction and we'll leave you alone. We will not attempt to remove you from power. We won't interfere in Libya. Barack Obama comes into office, then drops that agreement into the waste paper bin. Then Hillary Clinton, under Obama, oversaw this dreadful military intervention in Libya, with France and the UK tagging along to share in the destruction. And what a remarkable record of deaf and destruction Hillary Clinton leaves in her wake. Her foundation that she founded with her husband, former President Bill Clinton, quietly closed its doors a few years ago, after what little of the money that could be accounted for, it turned out, was in part used for funding terrorists. She backed a coup in Haiti, she voted in favour of the Iraq war, 100,000 Iraqis dead minimum, she pushed for a troop surge in Afghanistan, because let's face it, it's not her child getting sent over there to step on an improvised explosive device and lose her legs, is it? so why not and She also pushed for three hundred drone strikes in Pakistan, which killed three thousand people and There is talk of her now being the democratic nominee for the two thousand and twenty four presidential election, and if that is the case, as an aside. Where is the talent in Western politics today? Because I can't see any, and I'm I'm not being hyperbolic here. The American people have already said no to her once, and I suspect they would say no to her again. Especially as the only way she could campaign would be to throw her predecessor, Joe Biden, under the bus by saying that she would have done things differently and... He's made a mess of things. That's the only way she could campaign. And make no mistake about it, she would do that. Because this is an egotistical, self-serving ice queen who would throw her own grandmother under the bus if it benefited her in any way. Especially if she believed it would make her more wealthy or give her another position of power. Hillary Clinton only cares about one person in this world, and that is Hillary Clinton. And she could well be Emperor Caligula, reincarnated, as far as I'm concerned. And as dreadful as a human being she is, though. I mean, don't forget her and her husband being close friends of the convicted, now-dead paedophile and suspected Mossad agent Jeffrey Epstein, and Ghislaine Maxwell, currently being tried for sex trafficking underage girls. Don't forget about how close they were, um... Will she run for president again? I dread to think, but the Democrat Party would be crazy to green light another run for her, in my opinion, but I digress. So, just to reiterate, George Bush Jr. makes a deal with Colonel Gaddafi to get rid of Libya's weapons of mass destruction in order to be left alone. He complies, then he gets not only removed from power, but tortured to death in the street, on a camera phone, anyway by US-funded rebels. So what do you think someone like Kim Jong-un thinks when he sees that? When talk of denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula comes up, do you think he'll be receptive or do you think he sees what happened to Gaddafi as simply another reason to acquire weapons of mass destruction? Libya today is still in a state of chaos and civil war, with refugees dying, trying to flee, usually by drowning. Syria, another part of the world, running for the title of hell on earth, and another mess brought about in part by Obama-Clinton policies. Yemen, another one. Barack Obama even bragged that Yemen was a model for his war on terror, and look at the place now another humanitarian and strategic catastrophe which has left charities and NGOs doing what they can to stop newborn babies either being bombed to bits or dying of malnutrition before their first birthday. But let's focus on human rights in Libya today. Libya was a relatively stable country, no threat to America, no threat to its allies, but today it is another class of disaster. There's much talk these days about racial justice and historic slavery over the last two years in particular, and rightly so, because these remain important conversations to have for many people. Today, as I speak to you now, wherever you are, there are black men with their hands in chains, joined together ten at a time, in dusty open air slave markets in Libya today, slaves waiting to be sold off as farmhands or to work in factories to the highest bidder, unwitting men desperate for work are being convinced that stable work waits for them overseas and they are being groomed and trafficked to cities like tripoli and benghazi where they will either be sold off or held for ransom and in the case of the latter in a lot of cases their families who are desperately poor that's why their child has moved away for work anyway cannot afford to pay a ransom to have them released meaning that the people being held there are executed and in may 2020 30 migrants And this is just one case that we know of. 30 migrants, 26 of whom were trafficked from Bangladesh, were shot dead in a warehouse in Misda, near the capital Tripoli. And a survivor who was fortunate enough to have a family that most likely had to go into a lifelong debt in order to secure his release said that the families of those executed had been unable to pay the ransoms. There are some 20,000 Bangladeshi nationals estimated to have been lured into Libya with the promise of work. And obviously they had little or no knowledge about what is happening on the ground there. So poor are the villages that they come from. They have no idea what the people on the ground there are going through. And the bodies of people fleeing regularly wash up on Libya's beaches after failed escape attempts from the country. And make no mistake about it, these include children and babies. And there are still factions fighting in the country today. And a reconciliation and a path to stability has been pushed for for the last few years by the United Nations. But today, 10 years after the Western intervention started, the place is still fractured and people are still dying because of what was done in the name of freedom and democracy 10 years ago. Now national elections were supposed to take place at the end of last year but they were pushed back and there have been many delays and setbacks and while Hillary Clinton is in Ireland being installed as Chancellor of Queen's University Belfast no doubt quaffing a celebratory bottle of champagne or two in celebration, the men and women that are left in Libya to pick up the pieces are still trying to see a way forward through the rubble and the dust and the grief of losing multiple generations of their families. Now, I'm fortunate to be able to count a Libyan as a friend of mine, and I can tell you that they are a proud people, they have great character, great sense of humour, and I was honoured to be asked to advise on and be a part of helping him host the first Libyan National Reconciliation Conference in London a few years ago. And whilst hope as a strategy is a poor one, I can also say that in the same breath, He who has hope has everything, and take it from me, at some points, that's all my friend and his fellow Libyans have had hope.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome to our Justice Upheld podcast. My name is Lara, and I'm a human rights activist with Justice Upheld, which is a UK-based charity focusing on human rights and the promotion of welfare for persecuted people in all parts of the world. Today, I will be interviewing uh, Shaquille Anjum. He is also a human rights activist, and I'll get him to introduce himself now.
2: Hello, everyone. My name is Shaquille Andrew I'm a Pakistani Christian and US. citizen from New York City and I'm biological brother of Nadim Samson, blasphemy victim in Pakistan. He just got released on bail granted by Supreme Court of Pakistan.
1: Okay, thank you for your introduction. I just wanted to ask you firstly, can we get a little bit of a background about your brother's case? For the listeners, the, the background of what happened with your brother, please?
2: Sure. Uh, this incident happened actually in 2017, that was the day November 24th, 2017, that was the day in the United States, that was a Thanksgiving day a dark Thanksgiving day, which is the family day in the United States. And that day, my brother, he got arrested for five blasphemy charges. And uh, that case actually was the conspiracy against my brother, Nadine Samson, who actually got the lease house from uh, Mr. Sahawat Dogar. He was a Muslim owner and uh, he gave this uh, apartment to my brother on this condition that the amount he is getting from Nadim Samson that was almost uh, in U.S. currency that was $4,000 and after the uh, duration my brother he gonna give the notification 30 days before and the owner, Mr. Sakawat Ali Doger, he is going to give back that deposit amount $4,000. Mm-hmm. But as my brother gave the notification 30 days before, so Mr. Sakawat Ali Dogar, he made the conspiracy with his relative Abdul Hog Goga, and they themselves uh, uh, bought a SIM card, the same duplicate SIM card of my brother's number, which was on the on his uh, uh, herbal medicine website, and they got his business sim card duplicate number and they themselves made a fake uh, Facebook account and put a blasphemous material against Islam and Prophet Muhammad. That's the major tragedy with my family on that Thanksgiving day.
1: So, do you think a lot of a lot of the conversation around blasphemy is that these charges are used to settle personal vendettas. Is that something that you agree with?
2: Yes, 100%. Okay. Have, uh, the people, they have uh, some personal things or grudges or anything, and they do not like something personally, as somebody. So they make this kind of false accusations because these false accusations, they do not require any evidence, they do not require any witnesses. You just say something and then mob attacking starts and it can kill you right away. Or if you get arrested, it takes you, it puts you Behind the bars, several years, like kasia B.B. and all others, 8 years, 9 years, 10 years.
1: Yes, and I, I noticed in a recent Christian Post article, you described the challenges in the cases. You, you said that a lot of the lower courts are often afraid because they don't have any security. And because there's a lot of extrajudicial killings, often it got, has to go through the entire system. Before a person is exonerated, can you talk a little bit about that process?
2: Yes, that's a okay. There is three courts: the the lower court, which is called uh, trial court, and trial happens in that court. Uh, that is called also that is uh, called a district court. So trial always goes there, and uh, but those. Uh, magistrate or, you know, the lower level judges, so they do not have any security or protection. Government, they do not provide any security. So, such kind of cases, the blasphemy cases, when they come up there, so they cannot conclude anything. So, if they let the person, like an accused person, they order to release, so they are also under threat in that situation. Somebody can kill them also because they are letting to go the person, like accused person. So this way, they cannot decide anything. So they do not announce any punishment, you know, which is death penalty or life imprisonment. So they do not announce any punishment And this way, these blasphemy victims, they spend a lot of years of their lives in prison. And that's the reason the, the cases, they are hanging in between, no decision, no punishment, and trial takes a lot of years of the people, innocent people. Yes. The 99% of cases, they are totally false. They are conspiracies just to ruin the people's lives without any witnesses, without any evidence.
1: Yes, I, I agree with you. A lot of these cases are totally concocted, totally fabricated, and I think vulnerable persecuted Christians are particularly targeted um, and and minorities like the Amadi and and Christians as well and you're absolutely right in saying that these people often languish without trial for a very long time. Asya Bibi, uh, was. it took 10 years for her to be acquitted and another case, Junaid Hafiz, he, he stood six years without trial because everybody is afraid to touch these cases because of the extrajudicial killings. We've had Salman Tazir, Shabazz Bharti, and the lawyer mm-hmm. of um, Junaid Hafiz, I think his name was Raymond Rashid, he was killed in 2013. Among many others, yeah. everybody is scared, mm-hmm. so it often takes a very long time for any kind of uh, settlement to a case.
2: So the, trial, yeah, so the trial court judges, they have only one option, just to una- announce death punishment or the life
1: imprisonment, that's the only option these judges have. Yes, the hands right. are tied. So
2: then, yes. And then, then this trial, it goes up in the higher court and if they cannot decide then or they take the same decision so then it goes to the Supreme Court. So this way it takes a lot of years, a lot of years and still when it goes to Supreme Court it's mostly, it's like in the form of death punishment. And with the RCBB Bibi case, or with my brother, these are the miracles. And I would like to mention uh, that person. I mean, that is angel for us, even for RCBB Bibi or for Nadine Samson. So that is a defense attorney, Mr. Staple Malou. Yeah.
0: So he
2: is like angel for us. So he is saving lives of blasphemy victims he is fighting and he is also he, he has of life threat and thank god he's safe and he's still fighting and he will continue to fight
1: for all blasphemy victims indeed i've, I've spoken often to say for maluk and i have a lot of admiration for his courage tenacity and his dedication to the cause, and he does this very bravely. Um, So I also join in admiration for his pursuits in in the cause of justice here. Um, So just back to your case, can you tell us the recent good news uh, about your brother being bailed, and, and what's the next step? Yeah,
2: that's a very important question. The, this is a historic bail and uh, the bail meaning you are bound to go to the court, to the trial court, back and forth. You have to attend court again and again. And everybody gonna see you there, general public, then accusers, then prosecutor, everybody gonna be there. And it is very, very, very risky. And you remember in uh, July 2020, there, there is incident happened with the Ahmadi accused person. He was on the bail and he was going to uh, court to just to attend the trial hearing. And just in the right in the courthouse, court courtroom, somebody just shot him to death. So that's the, that's happened in the country and when somebody does, does like that, so they are known as a heroes, religious heroes. So uh, with my brother's case, I'm really afraid because I am the head of the family and my younger brother and me, we are really afraid that this is going to be a very dangerous situation because my brother He cannot, uh, he cannot, I mean what I I want from my brother, he should not go to the court because somebody can attack on him and somebody can kill him, which we do not want. So this is very dangerous. This is more dangerous than earlier situation.
1: Yes, in Uh, ways his bailment is a good thing because of his health conditions, but in some ways there's also risk in keeping him safe,
2: correct? Yes, that's the only thing, he will uh, come out of the prison and uh, we will start his treatment or like he was uh, very sick and he was uh, uh, suffering from uh, uh, kidney stone issue and uh, he had severe pain and let me tell you, we got the we filed a petition for all his medical tests and treatment and trial court they issued the orders to the jail administration that they issued the jail to and the officer they should start Nadim Samson treatment but they didn't we still have those orders but nobody cares so this is another issue even we have the treatment order, the medical tests and everything, but the the jail administration, they do not care. There is no medical facilitation in the jail, in the prison. And every day, a lot of uh, prisoners, they are dying because lack of medical facilitation. So, so this is a terrible situation. And thank God if my brother came out of, came out of the uh prison and when he comes out so we will take him to the treatment first
1: excellent i mean obviously i understand from having spoken to you um several times about this case um how difficult it has been especially with his sicknesses and his issues with health and we really empathize we at justice upheld very much empathize with his situation and we have a lot of compassion for him and and everybody who's suffering in these inhumane and squalid conditions. That's why we too are fighting in concert with you to raise awareness about what's going on and I admire your courage to keep going in the face of this adversity. So where to from here? How can we best help him and support him and the other blasphemy victims?
2: Okay, that's also a very good question. Uh, first, uh, uh, about my brother's case, so this is a out actually. So as I told you, he will be going to the court, which is very dangerous. And I want to remind you, December 3rd, 2021 incident. Just last month, in the start of the December, you know, the Priyanta Kumara incident, so mm-hmm. there, he was a manager, he was converted Christian and uh, people, they were the, the subordinates people, they were getting jealous from him and uh, they just uh, made false accusations for blasphemy and they just got him and they burned him alive. They burned him alive in the street and the other people, the more people they joined, the, mm-hmm. All the factory workers, the warehouse people, they joined more and more. And thousands of people, they burned the, his uh, body alive on the road. And then after, they were taking the selfies. They were celebrating. You know, one human being body is burning and they were taking the selfies.
1: For so, behavior. That was
2: terrible so this is, this is a thing, the incident, this one incident, the Priyanta Kumara and the back, uh, July 2020, when mm-hmm. they killed one Ahmadi uh, Mr. Thayer uh, in the court. They murdered. So these two incidents I'm really afraid. So that's why I have, uh, I'm still appealing to uh, all the European Union authorities and uh, Pope Francis, and uh, the Netherlands government, Canadian government, uh, for my brother's safe evacuation, along with my younger brother's family.
1: Certainly, once a final verdict is rendered, and, and I hope that it's an exoneration, there will need to be a very speedy evacuation plan. I completely agree. So it's important that... Um, you continue to advocate and and speak to Pope, Pope Francis and other eminent political figures to ensure that when, as soon as possible, he is allowed to evacuate, he can do so safely to a Western country. And we at Justice Upheld will do everything in our power to raise awareness about this case and to ensure that it's heard by the correct ears, and that your voice is heard and not marginalised in the collateral so that we can support you as best as we can. And that's why we're doing this podcast, to raise awareness for your case and for every other case and to ensure um, justice is is served here and, and for future victims.
2: Yes, I would uh, like to uh, thanks to Justice upheld because uh, previously uh, they published uh, my article and uh, also Justice Uphel, they did really uh, loving to raise a voice for Nadim Samson for his release. And uh, I'm really grateful to all your team and for this podcast also
1: no problem and we're so grateful to have you on now is there anything that moving forward that you would like to tell listeners about how we can help in a practical way um to to institute reform to encourage change and to support you your brother and other victims what what practically could we do to help you
2: I would uh, I would uh, like to mention also the very important figure uh, in this uh, in this case the first thing uh, National Commission for Justice and Peace, which is a Catholic organization in Lahore Diocese, Pakistan. So they are funded by the Vatican, our Pope Francis organization. They actually provided all the legal fees and everything they actually hired Mr. Stafford Malaw to save my brother's life so I really appreciate uh, uh, to NCJP I'm very grateful and also the important figure is uh, Justice Mansoor Ali Shah so let me tell you uh, there were three judges at the time of the hearing like the bill petition hearing there were three judges and two judges, they were they were avoiding to uh, give the bail, but only a uh, Mr uh, Justice uh, Mansoor Ali Shah. He was the one and only judge. He wanted to grant Nadeem Samson bail. So I am really grateful to him also, and uh, uh, Mr Saeed Malok. So we collectively we should. Uh, appreciate these kind of uh, liberal uh, judges in the Supreme Court, and we also appreciate uh, Prime Minister of Pakistan, Ms. Mr. Imran Khan. So, mm-hmm. as we clearly uh, we remember that in 2018, Asya Bibi and my brother were released in in Imran Khan's Prime Ministership so we hope for other blaspheming people also that uh, we can collectively raise voice for uh, blasphemy victims internationally and uh, we can get favour from this kind of uh, liberal minded judges
1: yes and we pray for Imran Khan to challenge and repudiate the more radical elements uh, in government like Turk El abaq the TLP party which is obviously very fervently in favour of the blasphemy laws. We hope that he will make policies that challenge these extreme elements in Pakistani society and which will hold mob violence to, to account and will, will help prevent lynch or extrajudicial killings. There is so much of a way to go um, it's a very long journey, but we will continue to support you in that journey in whatever way we can. Um, you know, we, we hope to be champions of change, and change doesn't happen overnight, but it, it happens with people coming together, like-minded people and organizations coming together and championing the causes that matter. And so we are here for you, and yes, we do hope Imran Khan will really challenge these, these, these radicalists basically. So is there any further thing that you would like to say um, that you would like listeners to hear about your case or any other case?
2: Yes, uh, I, uh, I would like to mention this thing also because uh, this start of the year and the first week of January there another incident happened like the hearing happened in, on January 3rd, January 3rd 2022. So that was a Zafar Bhatti case. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a blasphemy case, and Mr. Zafar Bhatti is a Christian blasphemy victim. He spent 10 years, 10 years in prison, and after 10 years, judges they announced death penalty for him. And uh, he's now he is 58 years old, and to watching this hearing announcement, my all other friends, uh, my activist friends, they were really worried what's going to be with Nadine Samson hearing on January sixth. So which was that hearing, which was coming right after three days. But thanks God... Uh, Uh, Thanks God and thanks Justice Mansour Ali Shah so they they released the order to release my brother. So we will continue uh, to raise voice uh, for Zafar Bati and all other uh, blasphemy victims.
1: Yes, we are also concerned about the plight of Zafar Bati and the other blasphemy victims languishing in squalid conditions. We are, however, thankful for this small win in, the, in terms of the bailment of your brother but there is so much more to go in this case and in the other cases so we have to be steadfast in our vision for justice and we have to keep campaigning and I admire your courage your ability to keep showing up even when it's very difficult and I know how hard it has been for you and your family and we offer our our prayers, our blessings, our support for you and whatever we can do in our power we will always do to support you. So we just thank the listeners for tuning in. We ask that you keep um, Nadine Sampson's case in your thoughts, that you keep the thoughts of all other blasphemy victims, all persecuted Christians and other minorities in your minds and hearts and that you do your little bit, whatever it is, whether it's talking to legislators, asking for a form pushing for a form because change begins when we work together and you can you can be a catalyst for change everybody has it within themselves to be the, an impetus uh, to be part of you know the the change for good and to be the catalyst for change so with that in mind I, I close with with just thanking you for listening to us and hopefully we'll do future podcasts together this was our pilot podcast and I hope you enjoyed, if you have any feedback for us, on how we can improve, that would be great. We, we appreciate your time and, and your efforts in just, in just listening to this story and, and, and sitting with us in the pain of what people have gone through. People are really struggling and we are an organization about human rights. And so as you go about your daily lives, never forget that in this world there are people that are suffering in the darkness and we must continue to help them. So with that in mind, I, I thank you for listening to this podcast, and I wish you all a wonderful day. Thank you for me. Is there any final remark from you?
2: No, thank you so much. May God thank bless you. you. Thank and you. And may
1: God bless you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing our story and part of what we do. If you want to know more about us, you can visit our website www.justiceupheld.org.uk or go to your favourite social media channel and just search for Justice Upheld. We'll see you again soon. Bye.